Welcome to Everything Yesterday This Morning, a 15 to 20 minute daily recap of headlines you may have missed. Come for the news, stay for the snarky commentary. Good morning and welcome to Tuesday's edition of Everything Yesterday This Morning. I'm your host, literally Heather. I hope that your Monday was spectacular. So, uh, in celebration of the decision of our first story this morning, the deal of the day is the Palmetto State Armory Dagger, compact 9mm with threaded barrel and 10 PMAG magazines and a pistol bag, all for $399.99. This is a phenomenal entry-level package if you've been wanting to purchase your first handgun. The link will be in the show description and shout out to California who can now join the 21st century of handguns again. Uh, California cannot be in residence from buying modern handguns anymore. That is the ruling that was handed down by the federal district judge, Cormac J. Carney, um, who was a George Bush appointee on Monday. He found that California's requirement that all new pistols sold in the state include a series of uncommon or even theoretical safety devices is unconstitutional. He ruled the regulation, which has resulted in no new handgun models being sold to civilians in nearly a decade, violates the Second Amendment. Californians have the constitutional right to acquire and use state-of-the-art handguns to protect themselves. This was in the preliminary injunction for Bolin v. Bonta. They should not be forced to settle for decade-old models of handguns to ensure that they remain safe inside or outside of their homes. This decision is the latest blow to California's strict gun control laws in the wake of the Supreme Court's 2020 opinion in New York v. Bruin, which set a new standard for reviewing gun laws. Late last year, a federal judge also blocked the state's attempt to discourage legal challenges to its restrictions. (laughs) it's amazing to me. California's like, you're not allowed to even challenge us on our unconstitutional restrictions. Many of the state's other high-profile gun restrictions are similarly embroiled in ongoing litigation. Monday's ruling may signal that they may face a tough climb to clear the bar set by the Supreme Court. The ruling paves the way for law-abiding Californians to access new pistol models for the first time in a long time. California passed the Unsafe Handgun Act, UHA, in 2001. It initially barred the sale of any new pistol models that did not include a loaded chamber indicator, magazine disconnect safety, and then there was some sort of firing pin mechanism that is not even, like, in wide use yet. Like, you can't even, the patent for it's not even widely available. Um... In 2013, the state expanded the requirements, oh, I'm sorry, here it is, uh, to include so-called micro-stamping technology. In theory, micro-stamping would enable a gun to leave identifiable remarks on every spent casing with the goal of helping police solve crimes. However, there's been never been a production gun in the world that's implemented this theoretical technology. So since 2013, no gun in production, has this technology, but it's required for purchase. The practical effect of adding the requirement, which a handful of other states are now actually considering implementing as well, 
was a complete ban on the sale of all handgun models that were created after 2013. Outside of police officers who are not subject to the handgun roster restrictions, despite California deeming guns outside of it unsafe, Californians have been mostly limited to buying pistols first introduced to the market more than 15 years ago. These regulations are having a devastating impact on Californians' ability to acquire and use new state-of-the-art handguns. Since 2007, when the loaded chamber indicator and magazine disconnect safety requirements were introduced, very few new handguns have been introduced for sale in California with those features. Since 2013, when the micro-stamping requirement was introduced, not a single new semi-automatic handgun has been approved for sale in the state of California. Plaintiffs argued that the handgun restrictions infringe on their Second Amendment rights and are unlike any regulation from the founding era, which is the key measure for constitutionality under Bruin. California argued the restrictions don't directly implicate the Second Amendment because they don't completely ban the ownership of all handguns, just those it considers unsafe. Judge Cormack found Bruin doesn't require a total ban for a gun regulation to impact gun rights. He further rejected attempts to justify the restrictions by balancing their effect on gun owners with the state's claims they prevent accidental shootings or help law enforcement. The Second Amendment guarantees the right to keep and bear arms for self-defense, Judge Cormack said. That right is so fundamental that to regulate conduct covered by the Second Amendment's plain text, the government must show more than that the regulation promotes an important interest, like reducing accidental discharges or solving crime. Rather, to be constitutional, regulations of Second Amendment rights must be consistent with the nation's historical tradition of firearm regulation. Judge Cormack was unconvinced by the examples California cited. He said proving laws were meant to ensure a gun operated as advertised not require the maker to implement new safety features, and he said the gunpowder regulations were about preventing accidental building fires through poor storage, rather than preventing negligent gunshots by adding new mechanisms to the firearms. Additionally, he argued that micro-stamping technology was not similar to serial numbering or other gun sales regulation because it imposed a much heavier burden on gun makers one that he argued was simply not commercially available or even feasible to implement on a mass scale. Ultimately, he ruled the how and why these regulations burden a law-abiding citizen's right to armed self-defense are too different to pass constitutional muster. Because enforcing those requirements implicates the plain text of the Second Amendment and the government fails to point to any well-established historical analogs that are consistent with them. Those requirements are unconstitutional and their enforcement must be preliminarily enjoined, he ruled. I just, I had to take a moment really fast to just celebrate the fact that California can now join the 21st century. It's very exciting. In another huge legal win, a federal judge blocked the Biden administration from implementing environmental regulations redefining how water sources are protected, but which opponents have argued were an example of overreach. 
In his decision published late Sunday, Judge Jeffrey Brown ruled that the so-called Waters of the United States or WOTUS rule announced by the EPA in late December poses irreparable harm to residents of Texas and Idaho, the two states that challenged the regulations in the lawsuit filed on January 18th. Brown declined to issue a nationwide injunction, but noted that 25 other states have challenged the rule in two separate ongoing lawsuits. On December 30th, the last working day of 2022, the EPA and the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers quietly announced that they had approved the WOTUS regulation and that it would be implemented on Monday, meaning yesterday. After announcing it, EPA Administrator Michael Reagan said the rule safeguards our nation's waters. The rule ultimately opens the door for the federal government to regulate wetlands, lakes, ponds, streams, and relatively permanent waterways, largely mimicking a pre-2015 environmental rule set during the Obama administration, which implemented the changes in an effort to curb water pollution. The regulation is a broad interpretation of which water sources require protection under the Clean Water Act. In October, meanwhile, the Supreme Court heard arguments in Sackett v. EPA, a case concerning a property owner in Idaho whose home construction was denied by the EPA due to a WOTUS violation. The High Court is expected to hand down a ruling in the case over the summer. In addition, House Republicans have taken aim at the regulation with nearly two Hundred members urging the Biden administration to rescind it. In January and earlier this month, the House passed bipartisan legislation to overturn the rule. The legislature overturning executive rules doesn't seem to phase Joe Biden, though, as he issued his first veto yesterday in an early sign of shifting White House cooperation with the new Congress. The spin in the articles covering this subject is fascinating. Um, as it's blaming the, quote, Republican-authored measure from the Republican-controlled House and fails to acknowledge that this legislation passed with bipartisan support in both chambers. Biden sought to kill a measure that would ban the government from considering environmental impacts or potential lawsuits when making investment decisions for people's retirement plans. In a video released by the White House, Biden said he vetoed the measure because it, quote, put at risk the retirement savings of individuals across the country. The measure vetoed by Biden would have effectively reinstated a Trump-era ban on federal managers of retirement plans considering factors such as climate change, social impacts, or pending lawsuits when making investment choices. In layman's terms, let's say, I'm a 23-year-old employee participating in my company's 401k program. Tell my human resources manager I want to contribute 15% of my paycheck to this program. That's pretty much my only involvement, and the company that my employer chose to work with will then manage that policy for me. This rule that Congress vetoed, or I'm sorry, voted to overturn, would keep in place a policy that the company managing my 401k would act in my fiduciary interest and invest in things that they believe would generate the most or highest return. By Biden vetoing it, it would give management companies the ability to invest in things that could be total failures financially, but make you feel warm fuzzies in the short term. Critics say that the so-called environmental, social, and governance, or ESG, investments 
allocate money based on political agendas, such as a drive against climate change, rather than on earning the best returns for savers. Republicans in Congress who push the measure said environmental or social considerations in investments by the government are just another example of being quote-unquote. Do you guys remember when I told you about that attorney general in the Virgin Islands, her name was Denise George, who filed a lawsuit against J.P. Morgan Chase and was immediately ousted from her position? Well, a little bit of vindication for her because a Manhattan district judge ruled yesterday that J.P. Morgan Chase and Deutsche Bank can both be sued from profiting from Jeffrey Epstein's sex trafficking scheme. Judge Jed Rakoff said that victims of Epstein and the government of the U.S. Virgin Islands can sue the international banking company J.P. Morgan Chase because it knowingly profited and participated in Epstein's crimes. Rakoff reportedly reached the decision after J.P. Morgan and Deutsche Bank sought to have three lawsuits dismissed. While Rakoff agreed to dismiss some charges, he determined that other charges will stand and each lawsuit can move forward. As we have alleged, Epstein's sex trafficking operation was impossible without the assistance of J.P. Morgan Chase and later Deutsche Bank. And we assure the public that we will leave no stone unturned in our quest for justice for the many victims who deserved better from one of America's largest financial institutions. In 2008, Epstein pleaded guilty to soliciting an underage prostitute in Florida. According to CNBC, he was a J.P. Morgan client from 1998 to 2013, five years after Epstein's guilty plea. Deutsche Bank then took Epstein on as a client in 2013. He remained with the bank as even more allegations of sex trafficking came to light. Rakoff will not only allow the lawsuits to move forward on grounds of J.P. Morgan Chase and Deutsche profiting from Epstein's activities, prosecutors may also attempt to prove that the banks participated in helping Epstein evade law enforcement. The banks are accused of turning a blind eye to Epstein's activities and obstructed enforcement of the Trafficking Victims Protection Act. Props to Denise as she's the first one brave enough to start holding the people that permitted Jeffrey Epstein and his accomplices to accomplish these crimes. It will be interesting to see who was paying Epstein, as I'm sure that will come out in Discovery, or at least I hope it will. In a little bit of drama on the Hill yesterday, I'm not suggesting in any way that it hasn't happened before. I'm sure it has plenty of times when I wasn't paying such close attention, but I cannot remember when actors from a television show were brought into the White House press briefing room to discuss mental health. Like, I'm not sure that people in Hollywood are the ones I want telling me about mental health, but to each their own, I guess. It's not like we have anything else going on in the world. Anyway, a visit to the White House by the cast of Apple TV's Ted Lasso was interrupted when a journalist began shouting down press secretary Corinne Jean-Pierre. The outburst eventually resulted in other reporters remonstrating with the heckler, saying he was impeding their ability to work. The journalist Simon Ateba, the White House correspondent for Today News Africa, immediately began shouting at the White House press secretary as the cast of the comedy show stood silently behind her during a press court appearance. The actors were at the White House to promote mental health. 
don't worry. The irony isn't lost on me that the same actors who were promoting mental health yesterday have been singing John Lennon's Imagine to you while telling you that you're murdering people if you leave your house to shoot up your kids with unproven vaccinations and force them to wear diapers on their faces are lecturing you and promoting mental health. But I digress. As soon as Atembe began shouting, Miss Jean-Pierre tried to shut him down, repeating, we're not doing this, over his comments. He complained that this is not China, this is not Russia, and said that Miss Jean-Pierre had not called on him for seven months. After others in the room called for decorum, he stopped protesting, after which Miss Jean-Pierre asked if he was going to behave. Man, I'd never survive in the White House press briefing room. We can just go ahead and acknowledge that right now. If someone looked at me, a grown adult, and told me to behave, I would become the most unruly person in the entire place. She continued the press briefing and presented the Ted Lasso cast. Once the cast had moved aside following their comments, Atembe began protesting again. He claimed that Miss Jean-Pierre was discriminating against him and other individuals in the press corps because she didn't like them or doesn't like them. And I'm saying that's not right. This is not China or Russia. This is the United States. Another voice chimed in, telling him that if he has grievances, he should bring them to her later, adding that the press corps is tired of dealing with this. A reference to the fact that Atembe has frequently expressed his frustration with Miss Jean-Pierre during prior briefings. Atembe continued arguing, saying that people in the back of the room don't get to ask questions. Karem, I'm not sure who that is, fired back, telling him not to assume what the other reporters do and to mind your manners when you're in here. Once the fighting died down, Miss Jean-Pierre reminded members of the press to show respect in the briefing room. What I will not appreciate is disrespecting your colleagues and disrespecting guests who are here to talk about an incredibly important issue, which is mental health, she said. Remember, these are actors from Hollywood that that are there to talk about mental health. Um, anyway, what has just occurred in this last 10 or 15 minutes is unacceptable. Because the man you don't like called you out? Because it made you look bad in front of your Hollywood friends? You answer to the public, all of the public, maybe, and I know this is probably a novel concept from someone like Jean-Pierre, but other people may have questions that the four reporters you call on may not think to ask. Like, people want to know more than what ice cream Joe Biden ate yesterday afternoon. Oh, man. Senator Josh Hawley is launching a legislative push to end the normalized trade relationship between the United States and China as tensions between the two countries flare. The bill from Hawley, which his office said is to be set to introduce today, would revoke normalized trade relations status from China within two years. Hawley's legislation would allow the United States to subject Chinese imports to higher tariffs and allow the president to place even higher tax rates on select imports. The normalized trade relationship between the two countries has existed since 2000. In that time, China grew to be America's leading trade partner with nearly $560 billion in two-way trade between the two countries in 2020. 
The former President Trump frequently called out the trade relationship with China, arguing that the United States was getting taken advantage of, and pointing that the U.S.'s trade deficit with China, which was more than $285 billion in 2020. Many Republicans in Congress are now calling on the Biden administration to showcase strength against the Chinese government. The rupture between the U.S. and China was accentuated when a suspected Chinese spy balloon flew across the United States earlier this year. The bill from Holly also comes as Chinese President Xi Jinping visits with Russian President Vladimir Putin this week. The U.S. has warned Chinese leadership to not provide Russia with lethal aid in its war against Ukraine because we are the world police and you must do what we tell you to do. Um, I actually don't hate this. It'll be interesting to see if this will give a boost to U.S. manufacturing just because it's more expensive to do business with China from this point moving forward. We'll see how that shakes out. Um, Again, check out the link in the description for your Palmetto State Armory uh, 9mm handgun package. Other than that, you guys take care. Have a wonderful Tuesday, and I will see you tomorrow. If you like today's show, be sure to subscribe and turn on notifications so you never miss an episode. Also, please don't forget to check out shouseinthehouse.com and never forget that free men do not need permission from any government. Have a great day.